Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an accomplished film and television actress who's also narrated hundreds of audiobooks. She's the winner of several Audis, including this year's Best Female Narrator Award. Julia Whalen, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I know that uh, we had a little bit of trouble scheduling this just because uh, you're you're in high demand. Uh, I'm ridiculous, yeah. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in. Well, thank you for your patience. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Uh, I I had uh, Eduardo Ballerini, the winner of the Best Male Narrator Audi this year, on uh, a few months ago, and I thought I would really love to get both of them on. So uh, thanks for coming in. Mission accomplished. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what are you drinking tonight, Julia? Okay, so I am drinking. I decided to get fancy, and I am drinking a last word. Oh, I love the last word. Oh, good. You know a last word. I do. That makes me happy. I am a huge fan of gin sours. Well, there we go. I think I've tried almost all of them. (laughs) Okay. Um, Sometime if you want to get a little, if you're uh, feeling a little bit different, if you want to try something called La Ultima Palabra, you basically make a last word but with tequila. Oh, okay. Well, I think the um, the last call is a last word with mezcal. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. And I just found out that a final word is a last word with whiskey. That one I have heard of. Um, and it seems to me that there's a story behind that, but I, I can't can't pull it out of my brain right now. There probably is. Yeah. I love I love all cocktail-related stories. Oh, that's cool. I love it. We could probably spend the whole hour talking mm-hmm. cocktails then, so we won't. But uh, <laughs> Okay, but, I uh, guess. <laughs> no, the last word is great. Um, I had a friend of mine had a drink at a restaurant and said, yeah, it had green chartreuse in it. And, you know, I, I, what is that? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'll have to buy some. So I went out and bought a bottle, and then I started looking for recipes, and that was one of the first ones I found. I loved it. It's so good. And it's one of those cocktails that it's really like the easiest thing to make, but -hmm. it's hard to find out because you have to have two of, um, you have to have two specialty liqueurs that not a lot of bars have. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I finally just caved and bought everything, including those dark maraschino cherries Mm, that go with it. Um, should we just, I think feel like we should clarify to the listener. So it's equal parts gin lime juice, green chartreuse, and maraschino liqueur. Exactly. Yes. Shaking. Thank you. I, I always forget. I, I have to look it up because I always forget that the fourth one is is a maraschino liqueur. So, um, but I, I did get some of that for the same reason. Well, I've, I've seen this stuff in bars. I should really get some and figure out what I can make with it. Um, so yeah. And the green chartreuse, uh, not cheap, but damn, really packs a wallop. It's great. It's really, really good. So complex. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's great. I'm also uh, drinking something with a fairly complex liqueur in it, uh, Mm. which is um, something that I just heard of for the first time today. And I thought, I think that's what I'm looking for. It's a, uh, it's called a Monte Carlo. And it's essentially, have you heard of that one? No. Okay. Then, then I'll, I'll explain. It's, uh, it's essentially a Manhattan but instead of 
the amount of sweet vermouth that you would put in a Manhattan, it's got about half that much Benedictine. And I actually have some Benedictine on hand. And so I thought, I think that sounds great. So I decided to uh, mix one up. And the Benedictine is also a very complex liqueur and strong liqueur. And rye has its own kind of spicy bite to it. And so I put these together and I had a sip and I'm like, I think I really like that one because it's got a hell of a kick. Nice. <laughs> so it <laughs> Something worked. New. It You're did. Feeling it. Yeah, Good. absolutely. I'll definitely uh, keep this one in the rotation. Nice. So, well, that's cool. Okay. I don't want to spend, I mean, I do want to spend, but I don't want to spend the whole hour yeah, talking clearly about Yeah, clearly we cocktails. could just have like a little cutout session just absolutely. about this. But... <laughs> so uh, anyway, thanks for coming into the speakeasy. Cheers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that you are in uh, Southern California at this point, I, I believe. Yes. Uh, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Salem, Oregon. Oh, West Coast still. Yes, West Coast. I'm. I'm really. I've come to. I've come to admit that um, although I've bounced around quite a bit, I am at heart a West Coast child. <laughs> so you've bounced around to where? I was in um, Los Angeles for a long time after from Oregon, um, and then I was in school in New England in Vermont. Oh. Lived in England for a while. Um, split my time then between New York and Los Angeles, uh, kind of back and forth and, um, have just, uh, settled pretty firmly in Southern California at this point. I just really love it. So that is quite a bit of bouncing around. Yeah. Um, and where did you go to school? Middlebury College. Middlebury. I, I know somebody else who's gone there and I, I just can't think of it right in now. In the audiobook world, um, there's a story, I'm sure we'll get to why, but there is a little bit of a Middlebury mafia um, of people who uh, went to Middlebury. McLeod Andrews went to Middlebury. Uh, Will Dameron went to Middlebury. So those aren't um, the names I was thinking of. I was thinking of a, of a woman, but I, I, it's just not coming to me who it is that that's ringing a bell with. But Anyway, so so we middle- might get there. All yeah, maybe revealed later. <laughs> uh, so Middlebury College. What did you study there? English and creative writing and history. Oh, no kidding! So it was uh, a classic liberal arts education. Yes. Yeah. So words. Lots of words. Always a fan of the words. That's great. And uh, and I know you've written a book too. We can get to that later. But um, did yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that's cool. But uh, you didn't do audiobooks right away when you went into acting. No, well, I was a I was a child actor, um, so uh, I didn't. I, I was really focused on that, um, doing on camera. And when I left the business and went to school, I decided to focus. I didn't even. I didn't do theater there. I did nothing. I was just like, you know, I don't want to. I want to focus on something I haven't been doing for the last ten years. So, I writing has always been something that was of equal interest to me. I was always. I was one of those kids that if I wasn't, I was writing plays and acting them out. Um, and so I focused on writing in college, and uh, and it was only after graduating and coming back to LA and trying to get back into on camera and realizing how much the industry had changed that I started looking for other avenues, and this fell into my lap in an in, in an interesting way. So when you say the industry had changed, what are you thinking of specifically there? Um, well, part of it was you know I was I was no longer. Um, I was, I was no longer a child. Um, and I suddenly didn't really want to put up with what the industry demands of women in their early 20s. Uh, um, I felt I'd worked hard enough and was good enough that I shouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Silly me. Um, <laughs> and uh, wanting respect and whatnot. Um, and more importantly, just that 
by the time I left, I left at a very pivotal time. I was in college from 2004 to 2008. And by the time I came back, cable had happened. Mm, Um, movie stars were doing television and the landscape had changed. So I suddenly kind of my job being, you know, series regular and those are being taken by people who, you know, had much larger credits than me. And those, those lines suddenly, like you're a television actor, you're a film actor, those lines had just dissolved overnight. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, it was just a very, very, it was a different world. So you're, but you're still acting on, in television series, aren't you? Occasionally. Yeah. It's just not what you're focusing on. It's really not, mainly because I, you know, I'm, it should probably come as like no surprise, um, but I'm a bit of a control freak and not being able to control the outcome mm. of uh, on-camera acting in the slightest is just, you just set yourself up to be miserable. Yeah, um, I, I could see that. So I just kind of, at this point in my life, I've been doing it for, you know, for so long and I've had really great stuff to do and I I can't make lightning strike twice. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, you know, I'll do things when people call me, when they want me to do things, um, when it's something I care about, but I'm not out there pounding the pavement daily anymore. It's just not worth my mental health. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a, a great point, not just about your specific situation, but a uh, great line, not worth my mental health. I think that there are a lot of people in this business and a lot of businesses where, uh, they don't take that into account quite as much as they should. No, they don't. And I think that, you know, there's there's a thing that I see with actors as they, um, especially as they get older, because I think, you know, we're all willing to, what are you really risking at 22 or 23 mm. or whatever, trying to make something happen? What are you really risking? Right. Not not a lot. But I think a kind of disturbing thing that I see with actors as they get older is this clinging to well, this was my dream. And it's like, yeah, but it was your dream back when you were sitting in your living room, like before you knew what it took when you were just watching people on television mm-hmm. and saying, I want to do that. And now you have a lot more, you have more data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what it takes. You know how infuriating it is. Is this really still, like your dream can change now that you have more information. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and if you're honest, you can look at how much satisfaction you're getting out of right. living your dream compared to how much aggravation you're getting. And if you're honest with yourself, I mean, you should be honest with yourself. Because you might see that it's not quite the ratio that you would expect for a dream. Yes. And also, where is the satisfaction actually coming from? Like, is it just coming from validation? Is it coming from just getting that part and having someone pick you? Or is it really coming from a sense of accomplishment, a sense of your own work, a sense of your own development? And it's almost, spoiler, it almost never is the latter. (laughs) Spoiler, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Well, But that's just me being like a very... (laughs) a kind of cantankerous old lady about about, <laughs> about this business at this point. No, I understand. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so you did the TV, you went to school. When did you get into voiceover work? I, you know, I don't even consider myself in voiceover work. That's kind of the other thing. I've never done any other voiceover work. So you I, went um, straight to audiobooks. Yes. And only because, um, and this is where Middlebury uh, College comes back into it. One of my best friends in school we knew each other at Middlebury, and then we were also uh, two of the four people from Mid who were chosen to go study um, in England for a year. And so I really got to know her there. 
And she became a very, very good friend of mine. And coincidentally, her mother is uh, Laura Grafton at oh. Brilliance. Wow. Yeah. And at my college graduation, Laura came up to me and said, you know, she's like, with your acting background and the this English and creative writing degree, I just feel like you might be really good at this. And I, I didn't, you know, I was like, I don't, thank you so much, Laura. I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. But I just don't, um, I'm going to go back to LA. I'm going to get my old job back. Like, you know, I'm going to be acting again, real acting. Um, <laughs> but I so appreciate this. Thank you so much. And I was back in LA for about a year, um, and just couldn't really get momentum, like couldn't get in rooms anymore. You know, I'd taken myself out of the game for four years and it was a totally new crop of casting directors and new people at the studios and no one, I had to like start over. Right. Plus, like you said, the landscape had totally changed. The landscape had changed. No one cared because I was difficult in that I wouldn't do certain things. Um, you know, I was, I didn't make it easy, um, on myself. And so we, I just called her at a certain point and I was like, okay, what is this? How does this work? <laughs> and I sent her a demo. I think I went, I went to the library, I checked out a couple of audiobooks because I'm, I had never listened to an audiobook, full disclosure. Mm -hmm. And I checked out some audiobooks. I listened to them. I kind of got a, a sense of, you know, what the performance level was. And then I sent a demo, um, to Laura and I think she started out a couple months later, gave me two YA titles and I went out to Brilliance um, to record them. And that was my first time in a studio. And it was one of those things where it was like just fish to water, just took to it so seamlessly. And she was so right. That's great. And um, yeah, that's how that's how it started. Great. And since it worked so well, it just continued from there kind of uh, no stopping. Yeah. And when I think back, I guess we're talking about this would have been 2009. I think I did my first book in 2009, um, did a couple of books that year. And then I was getting to the point where I was maybe doing a book a month come like 2010, 2011, started working for other publishers, other producers. And then I think the major turning point, which anyone who was around at this time remembers, was 2012 when Audible just decided, like a decree came down from on high, that every book ever written <laughs> mm -hmm. would have an audiobook. And we, um, I'm sure that's not actually accurate, but that's what it felt like because oh, yeah. we all went into crazy mode. And at that time, not many people had home studios. I'm not sure if anyone did actually. And so it, I was in LA and it was just, we, we lived at the studios in LA. We were just doing, you know, they were like, they were open 24 hours. Everyone was pulling like swing shift graveyard. Like we were wow. just recording like crazy. And that'll, that'll, that's boot camp. It was boot camp. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's great that, that you had such a good experience the first time out and that you had somebody that you knew, um, that could kind of guide that along. I did. I mean, you know, that's why when people ask me for advice on, you know, how to break in, I, I'm always, I'm always, I direct them to other narrators, blogs, or somebody else who's written about this because I, I don't, my story is just, it's a hundred percent nepotism. <laughs> um, like someone gave me a shot and I rose to the occasion, but I don't, it wouldn't have even occurred to me to do this business had Laura not said what she said to me. 
Yeah, and so I think it's good to recognize that, but at the same time, everybody's situation is different in one way or another. And um, you never know when something like that is going to happen. You never know when you're going to meet somebody who, oh, it turns out they produce audiobooks. Oh, look, they'll give you a chance. Oh, look, they have a lot of work coming in. So you never know. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of it weirdly kind of set off this thing in my life that I, I now, when you get that like crazy out of the blue call, instead of dismissing it, I've every time it's happened since then, I've said, this is interesting. I'm going to follow this through to its logical conclusion. Like, I want to go around this bend. I want to know what's at the end of it. Because it was just, it was so serendipitous. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. So yeah. you've been narrating for uh, for 10 years now. and I Yeah, I realized that, that, yes. As I was just doing the math, I, yeah. <laughs> and I assume that in the past several, at least, it's been uh, just continuous work. Yeah, I would say I think I've been doing it full time since that 2012 turning point. Mm. All right. So um, that is quite a while. It is. And I mean, I think that, you know, again, this is just an, another thing I can't I can't take any credit for. But the timing of when I got into it, that 2009 moment happened to coincide like two important things were happening. One is no one had a home studio, really. So you weren't expected to have a home studio. So you could cut your teeth in a studio with directors and people who knew what they were doing. Big plus, yeah. Yes, huge plus. Like, I don't know how anyone gets started today, and I, I just am amazed that people do it. Um, and then secondly, the boom on the publishing side of things, the boom in YA was happening, and being 25, you know, a young voice made me very appealing. Suddenly, there was like not, there were not a lot of people who could convincingly do all of the, the huge, the massive amount of YA that was happening at that time. Sure. So that kept me busy. I'd say for the first couple of years, I was almost exclusively doing YA. Yeah, I don't think that would have helped me much. I'm I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that it's unlikely I'm going to be doing any YA in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. There's yeah. there's plenty of other types of book. I'm yeah. books. I'm 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 a little disappointed just because I hear so many great things. I know so many people who love doing YA. It's so good. Yeah, I, I hear that all the time, and I'm thinking. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, there was just there was this moment. There was this like, and I think especially for me coming out of you know a writing program and the kind of attendant snobbery around that and like what you consider literary fiction. And so these were books I would have never read on my own. I was reading a serious literature, and I like got these YA novels, and I was like, these are delightful, and they're well written, and they have something to say. And they're moving the needle. Like, it's it's just, there's so much happening. And I that was kind of the first, um, my first introduction to the fact that publishing was a much wider arena than I had any indication of coming out of, you know, my very, like, run-of-the-mill canon, Western canon literary education. Sure. Yeah, the um, going through an English uh, program in college is different than what's what people are actually out there reading. What you're actually reading, yes. Yeah. So would you say that YA is is still sort of a specialty or a niche for you, or do you do everything? Uh, yeah, at this point I do everything. I There's a part of my own story and my own trajectory that I don't understand, which is here I was doing YA solidly for a couple of years, and then I got Gone Girl. Mm, right. And I don't know what made Kelly Gilday over at Penguin Random House say she'd be great for this. I don't know how that happened. 
Um, but once that happened, then it was like the lid was off. I was doing everything. Kind of opened a few doors. Yeah. And I'd say at this point, actually, I think YA is probably um, the category I do the least. Oh, no kidding. So it's really, yeah. really uh, flip-flopped. It did. And I, I don't know if it, look, YA in itself, like on the publishing side of it is just kind of has these constant like peaks and valleys and depending on what's getting published and where the money is. And, you know, it's a, it's, that's a whole, the publishing itself is a whole other discussion. But, um, yeah, I, I get, when I get them, they're great. And I always, people who know me, producers who know me know that I am always looking for great YA, but it just doesn't, it doesn't come to me that often. Interesting. Have you done much uh, in the romance area? I have. Um, not so much anymore. Um, I was in at that time period. I was I record romance under an alias. I was doing that a lot more. Um, and that's just kind of fallen off over the last few years as I've just more than anything. It's that I I was doing a lot of indie published romance working directly with authors. And I oh, yeah. I didn't want to commit anymore to series, you know, mm hmm. Like, I just don't, I'm not in a place in my life where if you come to me saying this is going to be a 12 book series over the next five years, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. So it's more a matter of, well, maybe come to me when the next book is done. Yeah. 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 No, understandable. Um, so what about, what about where you record now? Um, I'm, I imagine that you're still going into studios, but uh, now that everybody does have a home studio, do you have a home studio? Do you record I do. I actually, I very rarely go into a studio anymore. Oh, no kidding. That's flip-flop yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everything, everything changed. Um, it's, uh, you know, part of it is my own control over my time. I it just, I'm, because I do other things, this isn't, you know, the main, this isn't my full-time job anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, it be became just increasingly difficult to, schedule time in a studio and manage to get anything else done. Yeah, I know. I can understand that because then all of a sudden you have something that you have to do. Whereas I know that for me, um, certain things make, make it to where day by day I have to be very flexible with when I can record. And, um, so if I have something on the calendar for three hours in the morning, but for some reason I can't record right then, I can always move that around, but if you've booked studio time, <laughs> exactly, and I, and I think of. that this was, and this was one of the, I mean, that was the reason why I got, uh, I had my booth to begin with, with why I got it in the first place was because I felt, I, you know, I'm trying to audition. This was when I was really doing on camera still, and I was, you know, I'd get an audition last minute, and then I, I'm one of those people. I'm of the opinion that like, if you're doing a an audio book, that's your job. Like, it's a job. Someone is paying you to be there at a certain time. And I think sometimes actors are a little too cavalier with, well, but my on-camera comes first. And it's like, well, it doesn't, though. Like, someone is hiring you. Mm -hmm. And I would always feel really bad about calling an engineer last minute and being like, can I, can I, can we push it a couple hours? I got this audition and I'll let you know when I'm leaving the audition. I'll update you. And it was just like, and let me just, I'll, I would rather just handle my schedule and not yeah. involve other people in it. <laughs> no, totally understand. So, uh, so having the booth, I'm, I'm sure makes that possible. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So is there anything that, uh, that you won't, do you, do you turn anything down, anything you won't narrate? Um, yeah, well, early on I had a, yes, early on I had, um, a couple of red lines. One of them was noxious political screeds. One was... That's a great description. <laughs> one was uh, 
political, or I'm sorry, um, religious things that I find abhorrent. Um, and then the other was romance or erotica that is the basis of it is non-consensual. Ah, yes. And those were just, again, I'm not, it's not a judgment. It's just my own, it's the mental health thing. It's like being in, in a studio reading this, the, all those, those three things are so stomach turning to me that it's not worth, it's not worth the, uh, the havoc. Yeah, totally understand. I, and I've heard that from, uh, quite a few people now is that, uh, the whole non-consensual slash rape slash, um, you know, various other terms for that type of material. That's the red line for them. Yeah. And I'm getting, I mean, I'm getting sensitive even to not even in romance or erotica, but even in like domestic thrillers and like physical violence as a plot device Mm. is also getting really difficult for me to stomach. So, um, I can understand that I'm, I'm working on something right now where I, I have read the book. And so I know the scene, I haven't narrated it yet. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not exactly looking forward to it, uh, because you know, things happen in these books and, and it makes sense in the plot and it's, and it's not put in there. Um, uh, what's the word, you know, just to titillate the audience. Gratuitously. Exactly. It's, it's not, it actually has a place, but not, not real easy. Mm-mm. So I I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then on just like a, I think the other reason that I kind of backed off from doing alias romance work is it was always, I never intended it to be a gig. Like I, I never, I just got, I think early on Tantor offered me a book. It was my first like romance. And I just said, I don't want this for other reasons, which is that being a child actor, you have some serious, serious creepers oh. that just seem to linger. And for me, like, you know, having had stalker situations in the past, I just didn't want that out there under my own name where they could easily find that. Sure. Me reading this content, um, you know, to them because that's the way they would have taken it. And so that was that. Was, and so I said, I'll do this. I'll do this book. Um, and then expecting really nothing that nothing would come of it. And it ended up getting nominated for an Audi. And I was like, oh, I guess I do romance now <laughs> <laughs> under this, under this name. Right. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, that would be weird. That, that, I have to say that's something that I have not heard before. I had not thought of that aspect. Um, and, uh, and when you put it that way, that that type of person would feel that you were reading it to them, which of course, is is a goal in audiobooks. You want the listener right, to feel right. like in you're any other telling category. exactly. You want them to feel <laughs> like, like yes. you're telling them, yes. But in that category, you're like, yeah, I don't want them I'm to like, feel oh, that this way. Is so, <laughs> this is just creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's uh, that that is weird. That that is different. Um, something that a lot of people don't have to go through. No, but it's also, I mean, I and I think you know everyone has their own reasons for doing it, which is why like my my kind of hot button issue is like when people very casually just out audiobook narrators and their alias unlike like when fans do it and it's usually done in a in a lovely way you know they're like oh if you really like her doing this you should also listen to she also records under this name and it's like guys yeah. we have everyone has their reasons for having an like if they have an alias there's a reason yeah absolutely don't I- do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently had, uh, had someone on who I heard at Johnny Heller's workshop before APAC a couple of years ago, mention that very thing and say, you know, you better be damn sure that that person has outed their pseudonym and they're okay with that before you do it. 
Right. And that really stuck with me. I, I hadn't thought about it before that. And I'm I'm so glad I heard that before I made that kind of mistake. <laughs> yeah. But, and look, it can't, like I said, it usually happens, you know, it's not done maliciously. Usually it's usually done as like fans talking amongst fans and, you know, right. wanting to spread the good word, but like, you know, don't, don't just don't, don't, don't do, do that. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally get it. Uh, so you said something earlier when you first started, you went and listened to an audiobook from the library because you hadn't ever listened to an audiobook before. I seem to recall when you were when you did an uh, APA webcast that mm-hmm. you mentioned that you still don't really listen to audiobooks very often. Is that still true? Unfortunately, it is. Um, and that is just that is just a function of time. Yeah, I, I totally get the time function. Um, do you think you would, though? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've got okay. a, I've got a queue. I've got a queue of books that I really want to listen to. Um, but you know, I don't have a commute because I record from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, my days are really regimented and really structured. And also, it's it's that thing of like, if I'm doing it all day and I'm I'm listening to text and I'm reading text all day, I don't want to get into another book. If I have if like I'm cooking dinner, I'm going to put on music. Mm-hmm. I got to switch up the neural activity. Yeah, no, totally understand. Uh, words again, words all day. Words, words, words. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I, I totally get the time thing. I, I have that same problem. I listen to quite a few podcasts that, for me personally, I, I find it important that I take in that particular content. And so I've, I've had to give up a few, and I've replaced that where I could with some audiobooks, but I get the time thing. It, it takes a lot of time. And yeah, and it's also it's also a writer thing. Like it's also a depending on what stage I'm at in a in a process of of, of writing of a project's development, I don't want to take in more story. I don't want to take in character and fiction and you know or whatever it may be. Like I just need to kind of have a firewall. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I I wish I, that is that is an actual regret of mine because people know each other's work so well in this industry and they everyone's so lovely and supportive and. I know people personally and I love them and I don't know their work. And it's it's very, it's irritating to me. I consider it a shortcoming. I consider it a failing. I don't know. I I, I don't so much see it as a failing as uh, something that is to one degree or another uh, just an impossibility. I mean, there are only 24 hours in the day. Right. And so so I I completely understand. Um, I just recently downloaded a few audiobooks from narrators that I've been wanting to listen to for a long time, uh, several of whom I've known and I met personally, and, I, and I've known them for a couple of years. And so um, I have, am finally getting around to it. So I completely understand. I, and I suspect that most of the people listening will understand as well. Um, it's just one of those things. And, you know, it comes up every once in a while online or among friends, even, uh, locally, you know, we're just talking with friends over drinks, uh, going out to dinner or whatever. And they'll say, well, so do you read? And I just kind of laugh and I'm like, I don't have time to read. I'm reading all day. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, that's my other favorite question. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to find the time to, uh, to put those things in. Yeah. And I, you know, at the end of the day too, it's like, I, like I said, because I didn't, I didn't come from this. I didn't come into this industry as a fan. I hadn't been listening to audiobooks and saying, oh, I want to do that, mm-hmm. you know, but I am a reader. And there is a part of me that is still like, if I'm going to, if I want to read a book, I'm just want to read the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to focus on how I would, how I would voice the character's lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know. There's always that moment you have to turn off that, the narrator brain when you start reading a book, you have to be like, I don't have to mark the character. Like, I don't have to highlight this word. 
Right. Like right. you can just just enjoy it. Sit back. Well, well you mentioned uh, writing in there too. So you've written a book. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was that like? What what brought that on? Um, it's actually a it's an interesting origin story. Um, the book was um, originally developed as a screenplay, and I was hired to work on the screenplay. Um, because it's set in Oxford and that's a setting that I have familiarity with. And so I had worked on the, the, uh, the original draft of the screenplay for about a year, you know, uh, restructuring it and, uh, fixing the, some of the authenticity issues. Um, and I had so many things that I wanted to change and I wanted to do in the, you know, the studio and the producers were like, no, we, you can't, you can't do that. But something about what I was saying clearly stayed with them because they then came to me and they were like, you know, you seem to have a lot of opinions about this story. <laughs> um, and do you think that there's enough there for a book? And I said, yes, absolutely. Um, please let me do that. It's such a bookish story, right? It's about the English department it, at Oxford. Like, please let me do this. And so I just jumped in and you know, did everything that I'd wanted to do in the screenplay and made it my own and um, kind of adopted the story and went through that process and wrote it, wrote it quickly. Um, and it, the publication process was about 18 months, I think, from the time it sold to the time it came out. And so I had my first experience of going through that. Um, and it's been out for almost a year and a half now. That's great. And, uh, yeah. and it sounds like it was something that was kind of a passion project. It was, it very much was. I mean, it's a, you know, there's, um, I had been working on, well, I've been working on a couple of books, uh, before this came up and now it's kind of having jumped into it in this particular category of women's fiction and what that even means. And it kind of has reoriented like my own craft and what I'm choosing to work on next. And it just, it kickstarted that, that thing in me that was like, it was as I was just getting further and further into audiobooks and I wasn't having time to write. And be, this made me have to write and have to make the time. And that was incredibly valuable. Yeah, that's great when something like that happens. I, I should mention, too, I didn't mention the title. I don't think you did either. It's My Oxford Year. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Just in case anybody wants to look it up. I'm terrible. Yeah, a year and a half out, I'm also still totally terrible at promotion. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. And then and then uh, an audiobook was done. And that I was, did, And that yes. was narrated by by who? I know a little a young upstart narrator. Um, I think she. I think she has promise. I was. I was. Uh, that was like kind of my one thing. I was like, I don't. Whatever we do, I just want to do. I want it to be a day and date audio. You know, I want that commitment up front that they're going to do audio at the same time as the print. And obviously, I want to narrate it. And um, that wasn't. That wasn't a question. Uh, Caitlin Gehring, um, You know wonderful, wonderful from Harper, um, mm -hmm. was the producer on it. And we just, we had a blast and McElroy, uh, Elgin did the, did the day-to-day -day production and we just had a great, we had a great time. And I, it was very difficult. It was weirdly difficult. I wasn't expecting that, but it won the voice arts award last year. Yeah, um, that's great. That, and you know, the funny thing was that when I first heard of that book and I heard that, that, um, you had narrated it, I thought, oh, 
And then I learned later that you had written it. And I thought, oh, so this is like a memoir because I, I figured, oh, oh wow, so that title is going to be the end of me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I saw that and I thought, oh, so she spent a year there. And then I heard, I think it was on um, Tanya Eby's podcast. Um, I think that she, she oh, played yeah. a clip of that. And I listened to it and I thought, this isn't a memoir. <laughs> so no, it's I, very much fiction. Yeah, yeah, so all along the way, I, I had all these misconceptions about right. it. So it's actually on my list of, of something to get and listen to because I was, I've was i been so wrong the whole time about what I thought it was. <laughs> now, now you're like, so, what is this, actually? Exactly. What is i got to actually hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a great experience. So do you plan on continuing to write? Yes, that's what I'm doing right now. I, I finally cleared my decks a little bit. Um, and I, as of like two weeks ago, um, have just recommitted to, okay, this is happening. I will have a draft of something, um, soon and the hours are going in now daily. And, you know, it's, it's really writing is just one of those. It's an ass in the chair Mm -hmm. situation and it's just gotta happen. That's it. I follow a lot of writers on Twitter and, uh, I, I see things like that frequently. (laughs) You just got to do it. One of the best, um, to, in that vein, and I don't know if this is, you can, you can cut this if this doesn't pertain to enough to audiobooks, but I thought it was interesting. Um, while I was at Oxford, there was, uh, Philip Pullman, um, his dark materials, et cetera, uh, was giving a lecture at the English faculty. And, um, I went with a group of friends and he was just, he's just lovely and he's so thoughtful and, uh, he's such a good writer. And, um, then he opened it up, he gave a lecture and then he opened it up to questions and it's all, it's always the American. <laughs> Someone stood up in the audience and was like, hi, um, I was just wondering, like, where do your ideas come from? Which is the question everyone asks writers. And I'm like slinking lower in my seat, like, God. And he handled it so beautifully and it stayed with me. He said, you know, I don't know where my ideas come from but I know where they come to. They come to my desk. And if I am not there to receive them, they leave. <laughs> That's great. And I was like, that is, that is it. Like that is it. You just have to be there doing the work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. I certainly won't cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh man. So clearly you have a lot of experience. Uh, it was like a, a fish in water when you uh, when you first started natural yeah. fit. Uh, do you do any coaching? I I don't really. I've done a, I've done some one on one coaching just with you know acquaintances or friends or people who are interested in getting started. And I say, well then, okay, here's what here's what I would do. I have not in any way um, uh, institutionalized it or made a business out of it. No. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Uh, time. Um, is probably the immediate answer. And secondarily, because it was, because it was natural for me, I worry that I wouldn't be able to actually be helpful. That's so funny. I was just listening this morning or uh, yesterday morning to an interview with Simon Vance and, um, he has the same take on it. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I, I don't really, and for that matter, uh, Eduardo Ballerini said the same thing a few months ago. I've talked to both of them about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't really know why it works so well for me. It does. And so since I don't really know why I'm good at it, it would be really hard for me to impart that knowledge on 
to to somebody else. And I I think that that's refreshing. Um, it's it's unfortunate because of course being so good at it, there are going to be people who are going to want to say. You know, I'm happy to give you money to help right, me get better. Right, what's the secret sauce? Yeah. Exactly. But at the same time, it's it's refreshing because clearly this is somebody who is good at it, but is like, I'm not going to take your money because I'm not good at that aspect. I'm, I'm just good at doing it. And Right. So and I think there are great. certain things like, like I made my living, you know, when I first moved, when I first graduated, I moved back to LA, I made my living tutoring. And so I, the things I can teach, I take very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I, I, um... I feel very confident teaching a 14-year-old how to write an essay, right? I feel very confident teaching history. Um, I, I am, those are things that because I had to learn them myself, I can, I can take someone along on that journey. I think I could do targeting, like targeted coaching. Like if you have a specific thing, I mean, you know, there's, there's certain basics that I feel that I, I did learn, like how to breathe while you're doing this job. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's a big one. And a and how to structure your characters in such a way that uh, you know you you give yourself enough support going into a book that you you don't kind of paint yourself into a corner. Like there are certain things I feel I could I could tackle because they were things I had to figure out. But the actual mechanics of doing the job and feeling natural or feeling comfortable was just kind of was just there and I it's, I would feel um, kind of fraudulent talking about it I think yeah no I understand like like I said listening to Simon describe that I thought that's uh, that's that's great to hear and um, I, again it's unfortunate because I would I would love for Eduardo ballerini to you know spend right. some time with me and it's like now I can narrate great but you know, um, well, there's point, probably point. something. Maybe I should talk to them about this because I feel there's probably something where, like, we could all take a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like one thing. Like, this is what I feel confident that I can talk about. Um, because I, and you know, and it is people are always kind of baffled that I don't that I don't coach. But you know, I, I mean, I've told people in the past, and I've done this in the past. I'm just like, look, if you want to, you know. Skype in with me and I'll, you can ask me questions and I will answer them. Um, but I don't have a, a syllabus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. That's, yeah. uh, that's great. It's, uh, it's, it's always interesting to hear, uh, you know, people who do coach people who don't, there are a lot of great coaches out there. And, there are. Um, and that's the other thing too. I think it's like, you know, we have in this, in this industry, it's small enough that everyone kind of knows each other and I can, without reservation, recommend five other fantastic coaches. So sure. like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. No, I understand. Well, so, um, so you said that, uh, things have, um, you didn't say slowed down, but you, um, kind of wrapped a few things up and so that you could focus on the writing. So when you're not focusing on writing or narrating, what are you doing? Got any hobbies? I don't know yet because this is, it, I'm like entering this new era of, um, trying to plug back into my life, like actually get into some kind of workout routine would be great. We're talking basics, like basics, like picking a show and watching it. Um, <laughs> wow. You really do need to, to just, I would uh... like to, I'd like to read again for fun. That would be nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'd like to like go outside occasionally and walk a little bit. Not being a little four by six box. Yeah. Well, um, I, I got to say, future from, is bright, Rich. <laughs> from, from what you were talking about earlier about mental health being important, if uh, if you're just talking about the basics there, 
absolutely do that. Yes. I mean, that's really what it's at. I look, I love to cook. I love food and wine. Um, that and, was, that's probably my biggest indulgence and my biggest hobby. Um, and, and cocktails. Yes. By wine, I just mean <laughs> booze. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's, that, that's a, I'm, I'm at this point where it, it has, I have gotten, I've kind of been just driven into this place where it's, you know, the harsh realities of, <laughs> of getting older. This is such a downer episode. Like, no, no, oh no, God. not at all. There, there are a lot of people I can tell you, uh, me for one who can very much relate to that. Right, right now I'm in a, in a place where I'm working on a couple of different things and I'm, I'm very stressed, uh, more so than I usually am about being able to get things done in a timely manner. Um, and where I'm at right now, it's still a bit of a feast or famine kind of thing. You know, there's a lot happening and, and right. I try to make all that happen. And then all of a sudden nothing is happening. And then I get stressed about, oh, I got nothing coming in. And so right. it's a little bit more of a roller coaster right now, but, um, but I, I completely understand. And a lot of people are going to completely understand that, uh, sometimes it happens that way and, and you really have to prioritize. And sometimes the priority is that you need to work all the time. Yeah. And sometimes it is. And, you know, I think that, look, I think that, um, that's one thing that like most people who come into this industry through the acting door, right. Not through, you know, the academic door or the writing, but whatever, but coming in through as an actor into this industry, we are so used to feast or famine and we are so used to the, you know, you don't turn down work. What are you crazy? You don't turn down work. Right. And, and so and there's that's like, problematic. Right. I hit a point, you know, about seven years into it where it was like this, this thing of me being like not being able to say no, because what if no one ever offered me anything again is like, calm down, Yep. calm it's, down. It's detrimental. It is. It's detrimental to, you know, mental health. It's detrimental to your voice. That's your instrument. And if you are just grinding it into the pavement every day, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I, and I think it's like, I think I've just also lost too many, too many people too young that like my kind of psychology became uh, the thing that I'm coming to grips with now is that the only commodity that actually exists is time. Yeah. yeah I hear and that. how much of that time is for sale and how much of it isn't. And you have to be you just, you have to be really regimented about that. You have to not let all of it be for sale. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, for whatever reason, you've been able to come to a point where you can see that and you're going to be able to, uh, to take some time. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I would like to be a person who understands pop culture references again. <laughs> um, and I, you know, also not to, you know, not to veer this off into something unrelated, but I do think that we have all been living collectively under an enormous amount of existential stress. Oh, yeah. For the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, that when the world doesn't feel stable <laughs> and we are all kind of being, you know, we are all living daily under a collective gaslighting situation, like an abusive relationship, that everything feels we're all just, we're burned out. We're all kind of done. I definitely feel that I'm not the first person to have said this. I'm not the only person when I talk to friends, when I talk to other narrators, you know, I'm definitely not the only person coming to this roadblock. Nope. I, um, I've seen that frequently, not, not just in narrator circles, but I've got friends who post about things and who post about, 
I've, I've got friends who suffer from anxiety and yeah, um, it's incredibly, I mean, you know, to use a, the nomenclature of the day, but it's incredibly triggering. A lot of this is just living right now, living right now in our society, in the way that we live online, social media is just incredibly triggering. Uh, yep. And, and, you know, the whole anxiety thing, uh, there are things that trigger it that they're not in your life right here, right now, but you see them and they cause anxiety. So yeah, I, I absolutely hear that. Yeah. And we, as, you know, as narrators, we, our job is to be present to the text that we are performing. Our job is to be empathetic beings, to inhabit other people's lives. And that roller coaster of, you know, getting into a story's arc and every, every four days you're in like new drama, Yeah, <laughs> you know, does take, does take a toll that I think we need to be more cognizant of and, and talk more about. Yeah. I, I just saw a post recently on Twitter from, uh, from somebody who is a reviewer, a book reviewer who focuses, I think 99% or more at this point on audiobooks. And, uh, he wrote, all of a sudden I realized, um, I can't remember how he put it, but it was clear that he was realizing what you're talking about. He said, all of a sudden I was burned out. I didn't realize it was coming. I didn't realize it was happening. And all of a sudden I was burned out and now I, I just can't do it. And, yeah. um, and so it, his point his the second, uh, thing in that thread was listen to your bodies, you know, check yeah. in, check in and see what's, you know, not feeling right. So, so anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you're at a point where hopefully that'll happen. So, um, so what words of wisdom would you have for aspiring narrators out there? I know that you don't, uh, you don't, <laughs> don't do burn the, out. Yeah. <laughs> good words. Good say words. no occasionally. Um, no, that's not helpful. Don't say no. Um, no, that's that. I think that's very helpful. I think that in VO in general and in audiobooks as well, um, knowing when to say no, I think that's really important. It is. I will say this: someone very wise once said to me, and they were this was talking about acting specifically, but it is true that sometimes the only power an actor has is to say no. That's great. And I think that that is that is relevant. That you know, prioritize your prioritize your life, whatever your life is to you at that moment. If your life is work, if this is it, and you're just like, I just want to, I want to get to a certain place. I, I want to accomplish this. And then I will deal with that. Then, then I guess, you know, that's your journey and then fine, but prioritize your life mm -hmm. because this is, this is a deceptively draining job. We don't think we do anything because we are sitting eight hours a day but what we are doing mentally, like I said, being in other people's anxieties, being inhabiting characters, inhabiting stories, um, that that cycle of, you know, conflict, climax, resolution um, is setting neural pathways. That's my that's what I've kind of come to understand is it is it is setting the way that I, I interact with the world. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, say, you know, have boundaries and, and stick to them. Um, and I, the one thing I can say on like a craft side and like, this is, this is the part that I feel, I guess is uncoachable. And this is why when I, I hesitate about coaching, it's probably this, because for me, so much of this job is not actually acting. So much of this job is, is reading and reading like a writer you have to be inhabiting the writer when you are reading the text and understand what they 
are trying to accomplish. And so really be, I think if anyone can, if you should be developing any skill, it's not necessarily your male voice or your Southern accent or whatever. Those are important, but more important is to develop your eye as a reader. How is the writer using punctuation? How is the writer using white space? What are the pauses there for? How is the writer using subtext? Be reading as, as, a, as if you were a writer trying to understand how another writer did something. That's great. That's, uh, I don't think that I've, I've heard that before, but as, as you're saying that, I, I'm thinking back on, you know, books that I've worked on and, um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, maybe, <laughs> no, I mean, that's what, that's, that's what keeps me engaged. And that's what, um, that's why I think I've learned so much from, from this business over a decade is I've just, I've learned a lot about storytelling and a lot about writers and where things work and they don't. And it's kind of as your job then as a narrator is to help the writer kind of bring, bring life to the text that they may not necessarily be able to bring. Like it's in your hands now. So how are you going to help them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's great. I, uh, I love that. So, uh, so that, that's a good note to end it on. So, uh, Julia, great. where can people find you? Um, all social media. I'm more active, I'd say on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but my handle on all of them is at just Julia Whalen. Just Julia Whalen. Okay, great. Um, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for coming in. I hope the last word was good. It is. I only had a couple sips. I forgot to drink. This was me sober, guys. <laughs> this was me sober. This is why I have to take a break. This is what this is what it's like living in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand. It is it is difficult, and uh, I know that it is more difficult for my guests to drink than it is for me because I ask a question, and people don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from who I'm talking to, oh, and so God. I just hit the mute button, and I, I can drink as You're much as like, I want. <laughs> I'm imagining some like Homer Simpson burps on the other end. <laughs> and you didn't, right. you didn't hear any of them, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I hope the last word will be good when you get a chance to have it. I got to say, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Monte Carlo. It's got a got nice spicy punch to it. Yeah. Got that from liquor.com and, uh, it's got a nice spicy punch to it. I'm, I'm a big fan of the rye and, uh, with the Benedictine, oof, it's, it's, it's different. Cool. All right. Well, Julia, ring thanks. ding ding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Rich. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Julia Whalen for stopping in. I'm always happy to talk about gin sours and audiobooks, not necessarily in that order. I really enjoyed hearing about her journey in the audiobook world, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. 
If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!